you're not going to get fit without eating right and exercising. When I up, down, touch the ground, it puts me in the mood. Whatever that might look like. Down, touch the ground, in the mood, for food. So, it shouldn't be a surprise that you won't grow in your faith without reading God's Word. Don't be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, redirecting it away from the things of the world to the things of God, and more specifically, to the Word of God. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Today, Charles Tapp continues with the second part in his series, The Heart of Christianity, by helping you understand the importance of God's Word and why applying it to your life matters. With his message, A Word for Life. Today, we begin part two of a series that I've titled, The Heart of Christianity. And if you weren't here, Last week, let me just catch you up to speed a little bit, because when we talk about the heart as a metaphor, we're talking about that which is central, that which is core to something's existence. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, for out of it flow all the other issues of life. And as Solomon was writing that, he was, he was talking about the heart of a person, not the human heart, but he's talking about guarding our emotions. He's talking about guarding our intellect. He's talking about guarding our thoughts. He's talking about guarding one's affections because out of those things flow all the other issues of our lives because it's central to who we are as a person. And that's what the metaphor heart is talking about, just like the heart of a car is not the upholstery, it's not the bucket seats, it's not the stereo system with the big 12-inch woofers, but it's the engine. But when you talk about the heart of Christianity, what is at its core, we learned from the writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, for without faith, he says, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So the word of God is telling us that the heart of Christianity is this thing called faith. And without this faith, with, without this belief, you and I cannot please God. We cannot make God happy. We cannot put a smile on the face of God. And let me just be clear here for a moment. When I'm talking about faith, I'm not talking about a set of propositions that we assent to and say, I agree with that. I'm not talking about a list of do's and don'ts. I'm not talking about a list of doctrines or a list of rules, but I'm talking about a belief, a trust, not in a thing, not in a system, but in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. This faith that Hebrews is talking about, it's not talking about a religion. It is talking about a relationship with God where an individual determines in his or her heart that they're going to trust God and walk with God no matter what. So without that trusting belief in God, you cannot please God. That's what is central to our Christianity. That's what is central 
to the Christian experience. And Jesus says, when you've got that kind of faith, it's not just the belief. It's not even just a belief in God. For if it were just a belief in God, James 2.19 says that even the demons believe in God. But it's talking about having this saving relationship with God. It's, it's that kind of faith that Abraham had. But here's the big issue. Here's the big challenge for us as believers today. How can we acquire that kind of faith? Turn with me this morning to the book of Romans. As we read Paul's letter to the church, the believers at Rome. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to verse 17. Word of God says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without what? A preacher. And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. Look at verse 17. So then faith, faith, the faith we just talked about. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That kind of faith is not a faith in a belief system. It's not a faith in a religion, but rather it's a faith that is the product of what takes place in a believer's life when they are determined in their hearts to take God at his word. And that's what God wants. That's what God expects from all of us as believers, not just to believe that he exists, but it should transcend that. It should go far beyond that. God wants us to trust in him no matter what. But here's a strange question. What is the word of God? And that's a strange question because it's not just one thing. When you look in scripture, you see in John chapter one and verse one that the word of God is in the form of a person. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in the person of Jesus Christ. Then you read in Genesis where it talks about the word of God actually being the word of God that is spoken. And God spoke and it was and God said and it came to being. You know, years ago when I was teaching at Tacoma Academy, some of you know Pete Garza. He used to be youth pastor here. And I think I told you several years ago when I was teaching this particular class, it was first period class. You know, the class where everybody's asleep. Pete Garza, and he's told you his story. Pete Garza, who now is a chaplain at WGTS Radio, he used to be a youth pastor here, used to be into gangs, but, but you would know that by seeing Pete Garza, especially in class. Pete would sit on the left-hand side all the way in the back. Pete would never say a single word. He would never raise his hand until one day we were talking about this thing of creation. 
And I said, you know, why do you think God created the world by speaking it into existence? But when it came to man, he formed him with his own hands. And everybody gave their answers. And then Pete, out of the back of the room, raised his hand. And we all turned in concert because we couldn't believe that Pete had raised his hand. We thought he was swallowing flies or something. He said, Pastor, I know, I know, I know. And I said, what is it, Pete? Pete said, well, when God created the world, he used his head. But when he created man, he used his heart. And I'm still saying, wow, today. The word of God was spoken and the world came into being. But when he created you and me, he used his heart. And lastly, the word of God in scriptures referred to this is what I'm holding in my hands. The written word of God. Let me just give you a newsflash because some of you may not know this. The only part of this book, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, that was written by the finger of God is the Ten Commandments. Everything else was written by human hands. And if that's the case, I know some of you already are hitting me, how in the world can we even dare to call this the Word of God? if it was written with human hands. Let's go back to the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's epistle, his letter to young Timothy, chapter 3. And I want us to read verses 14 to verse 16 as we answer that question. Paul is giving this young preacher, this young evangelist, some counsel. He, He was dealing with some very difficult and trying times in the culture as well as in the church. He says, but you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in, is that word faith again, which is in Jesus Christ. And here's what I love in verse 16. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He says all scripture, everything that has been written by man was inspired by God. And literally in the uh, uh, Greek language, it means God breathed it. And it's not talking about in the sense of Genesis chapter 2 when it says God formed man of the dust of the ground and, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's not what it's talking about at all because with that God had already created man but he just breathed life into man. This is something completely different. This is starting with the, the voice, the breath of God and creating something better yet giving birth to something that did not exist. The best way for me to describe this whole process of inspiration or God breathing is with another story. We're all familiar with Mary, the mother of Jesus, are we not? And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived and she gave birth to a child and they called his name Jesus. In other words, she gave birth to the word of God in human Flesh. So when the Spirit of God came upon her, 
She conceived and then she gave birth. Don't miss this. Whenever the spirit of God comes upon anything or upon any person, it first conceives, but then it gives birth to something else. What is that something else? What is this that God breathed in man? Let me just tell you what it wasn't. It was not word for word dictation. God didn't just give man every word and he write it down. But God inspired men. He breathed his Holy Spirit upon them and they were moved by the Spirit, it says in 2 Peter, and they began to write the word of God. Please don't miss this. This Bible, this book that you and I hold dear, although this is the word of God, this is not the words of God. Is that clear? This is the word of God, but this is not the words of God. God did not give them the words in most cases. He just inspired them, breathed upon them, and they gave birth to the word of God. Now, here's what's so powerful about this. And Paul knew this, and that's why he was talking to Timothy here. The same power, the same spirit that gave these men the power to write this word of God still is contained within the word of God today. So that when you and I read this word, I'm not talking about casually, but when you and I study this word, guess what happens? You and I conceive and then we too give birth. Because whenever God's spirit is upon something, it first conceives and then it gives birth. Well, then, pastor, what do we give birth to? Here it is. When you and I study this word that is God breathed, that has been inspired by God, you and I give birth to a sanctified life. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, A Word for Life. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And today, Charles Tapp helps you understand the only way we can come to a better understanding of our faith and grow to be more like Christ is to turn to God's Word. He explains with the rest of his message, a word for life. But John 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them, set them apart by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when you and I read this word, this divinely ordained word, even though it came through human means, it still has the power to transform 
our lives. The same spirit that brought Adam to life, the same spirit that impregnated those men to give birth to the word of God is the same spirit that will cause you and me to give birth to a sanctified life. And what is a sanctified life? It's not a life where you wear your your dresses down to your ankles. It's not a life where you walk around with your one pound Bible in your hand, quoting scripture. A sanctified life, listen, it's a life that pleases God. As Max Lucado said, it's a life that puts a smile on the face of God. And to me, that is the essence of Christianity. That's what living the Christian life is all about, living a life that puts a smile on the face of God. So Paul tells Timothy, listen, you're going to need this word because this is a word that's going to help you through the difficult time that you're going through. And the difficult time that Timothy was facing, and historians tell us that Timothy was in his 30s, but back then that was, that was young. He was facing all kinds of challenges and issues in the church. People were bringing in strange fire and strange doctrine. People were claiming they believed in God, but they didn't have the Spirit's power in their lives. In other words, they didn't have any fruit to really give evidence that they truly believed in God. There was a a morally bankrupt climate there. And everything, listen, not the world, but everything within the church was being tolerated and Paul said to Timothy, the only way you're going to be able to stand is if you take this word of God and give birth to this sanctified life. Here's what I've discovered this past week. In our attempt to get a certain standard of life and to try to achieve this certain standard of life, what has happened is we have given birth to a life with no standards. And it appears as though, just like it is in the world, the same thing is happening in the church. Anything goes. And there's a culture that the church is now giving birth to that says, well, if we don't like what the Bible says, we'll just change it. Because we don't like what it says. And you don't have to be glued to your television to know that life in the church, life in this country, life in the world has changed over the last 10 years. For we are currently going through what many call a moral bankruptcy. Our moral campus, compass rather, of our nation and our world is eroding extremely fast and at a very rapid pace. And we're living in a world today that is living by a new code, a new set of rules, a new set of beliefs, which basically says Anything goes. And I'm not just talking about the world. I am talking about the church. And pretty soon, if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves living in a culture of the church, and especially in our society, where there are no standards at all. But despite what is going on all around us, dear friends, I'm here to tell you God has a standard. And the standard is in his word. And this standard will help us go through the treacherous seas of life. But not only that, this standard, if we live by it, will help us and to prepare us for the life that is to come. And in Paul's letter to young Timothy, 
He was basically telling him, listen, if you're going to make it through this spiritually bankrupt church, the only way you're going to do it is if you stand, you become determined in your heart to stand on the word of God. You see, Paul understood that the same spirit that gave birth to this word is the same spirit that is still contained within the word that will give birth to a sanctified life. Paul was telling Timothy, I'm not just talking about a set of beliefs. I'm talking about the word of God. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I love that word renewing because in the original language, it means a redirecting of your mind, redirecting it away from the things of the world to the things of God and more specifically to the word of God. But there are two forces in this world that will impact us. And that's number one, the world itself and all of its influences. And secondly, the word of God. Paul says to young Timothy, listen, this isn't just any word. This is a word that is profitable for doctrine, for the pillars of our faith. It's a word that is profitable for reproof. It will help you when you're on the wrong road to put you on the right road. But he said it is also profitable for correction. And when many of us read that, we go, yes, now I can use this to show somebody they're wrong. That's not what the word means. It means to restore. To restore. To rebuild. He says it will thoroughly equip you for everything. Why? Because it is a word for life. But here's the clincher. Regardless of how powerful this word is, it will never have any impact on you or me if you and I don't take time to read it for ourselves. And I'm not talking about, you know, because we have a thing in the culture today, in the Christian culture, where we have these... uh, Devotional thoughts, you know, five minutes or less and you read it and you go out and that's that's all you read God's word for. And then there may be some who just read it for knowledge or or just to prove that they're right and the other person is wrong. Listen, it's not talking about that. We used to be a people of the word. The biggest obstacle to people believing the word of God is not the miracle The miracles that are in God's word is not those extraordinary things that you and I find strange or unbelievable. The biggest obstacle between people believing the word of God is you and me. Why should I believe that this is the word of God, that it has power if it has no power in your life? Why should I believe that this is a a transformational book if it has done nothing at all to transform someone who says they're a believer in the book? Because we've just gone through quickly in this fast-paced world and we just read it for two or three minutes and we think we've done it. I saw this poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, you may know him as the former governor of California. Some of you may know him as that action hero who did all those films. But I knew Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was just Arnold Schwarzenegger. But as young men, all of us went through this phase where we had to 
build our bodies with weights because we thought about building our bodies and beginning these muscles that girls would like us more. So I was all into Mr. Olympia. That's when I found out about Arnold Schwarzenegger. But he says something profound. And it was something like this. So you say you want to get into shape and lose weight. But you're telling me you don't want to eat right or exercise. Hmm. Didn't hit me at first, but there's a lot of theology in there. Because what it's saying is, as it relates to us and the word of God, so you're saying you want to live a sanctified life. But you don't want to spend time on the word of God or prayer. Hmm. And that is what is happening to our church today. We think by praising God and lifting our hands in songs that that's going to give us a sanctified life. Foolishness. You can sing all day until Jesus comes. That is not what gives the sanctified life. What gives the sanctified life is the power that is in the word of God, period. And that's why it's central to our Christian faith. And what Paul was telling Timothy, he was just saying, listen, God is saying to you, Timothy, trust me, I give you my word. I read a story, some of you may have heard this, World War I, back in 1914, a young captain, was 29 years of age, was captured, gravely injured, taken prisoner by the Germans. Two years later, he had received word that his mother was sick and she was unto death. So he made a, an extremely strange request of those in charge. He asked if they would let him go. He's a prisoner of war, but he's asking those in charge if they will let him go so that he can spend two weeks by his mother's bedside. But what is even stranger is that they granted the request. And for two weeks, he went to his mother's bedside until she died. And as he was about to return back to be a POW, the officials in the British Army said, no, no, we can't let you go. But he said, no, I gave them my word. I don't know about you, but as for me, I think I would have stayed. So he went back for two more years until the war ended in 1918 because he had given them his word. God is saying to his people today, trust me, I give you my word. It is a word for life. It is a word that will transform you, that will change you. All I need for you to do is trust. Christian faith is not just about a list of propositions. They have their place. It's about faith. It's built on a relationship. And as Paul says, you can only develop that relationship by engulfing yourself in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And let's spend some serious time in the word, even if it's one verse a week and just let that verse 
just permeate every part of your being because there is power in the word of God. And if we continue to let our standards fall when it relates to the study of God's word, we're going to have a church with a life with no standards, which means we're going to have a church with no power. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Who says amen today? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, A Word for Life. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Many people today don't want to believe or acknowledge God because they don't want God to place restrictions on them because they want to live their lives the way they want to live their lives and they don't want anybody telling them what to do. God ultimately places the responsibility of whether we choose to believe or not in our hands. And next week, Charles Tapp wraps up with the last part of this series, The Heart of Christianity, by explaining that you can't ignore the evidence around you. With his message, no excuses. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore.